Hey y'all, it is July and this is our hot take. So June was Pride Month and we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but did y'all think we forgot? No. We at Parents of the Liberation know that black queer folks exist 365 and we're not limited to one month. We celebrate and honor black queer families all year long. And in particular, this month, we will be literally celebrating and honoring black queer families and black queer parents at our Parents' Day events that are happening here in California. Too often, queerness and blackness are separated and appear to be disconnected from each other, but we know that queerness is woven seamlessly and beautifully into blackness. And so we are honoring black queer folks because black queer folks have existed since before we were brought to this country. Black queer folks are here now, and there will be black queer folks in the future. Actually, according to data from UCLA, (laughs) go Bruins, there are 1.2 million black adults who identify as LGBTQ in the United States. And of that 1.2 million black adults who identify as LGBTQ, nearly 40% of them are raising children. So it is imperative that we at Parent of Liberation honor and celebrate black queer parents and black queer families. And so we are doing that with our Parents' Day events that are happening this month, July 24th in Oakland and July 31st in L.A. You can find out more information about the events by visiting our social media pages. Um, Do you not get our newsletter? Get our newsletter so you can get all the invitations. The events are listed on Eventbrite. Do not miss them. They are for and censoring black queer parents and black queer families. And these celebrations center our joy and our families. And there's so many cool activities that are going to be happening. There's going to be family portraits, art workshops. We're having beautiful flower arrangements um, created and designed by Bloom and Plume. Um, If you don't know them, check out their Instagram. Um, We're also having a drag queen story hour. We'll be having giveaways. We'll have art activities and and, and games to play. So just come out. Each event is unique and different to the community, one in Oakland, one in LA. So if you identify as a black queer parent or you're parenting in partnership with a black queer parent, we invite you to come out and celebrate with us. It will be joy-filled activities in the park with arts and crafts and food and giveaways and so much more. We hope to see you there. Learn about these events on our Eventbrite page or on our Instagram and social media platforms. Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Hey y'all, this is Trina, and on this episode of Parenting for Liberation, we speak with Mia Cooley, founder of Xhood, about black queer parent empowerment, what that means, and how we as a community can support our LGBTQ plus families in our community. Xhood is the first community group and organization created in service of black queer family bonding and nurturing journeys. Mia Cooley is a community builder and a parenting coach. She specializes in supporting black and queer families through all of those special and and at times frustrating moments on the journey to and through creating a family. 
Welcome, Mia, to the podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, before we jump into questions, I would love for you to kind of just tell us a little bit about you, your family, um, who y'all be, how y'all identify um, before we get into the episode. Sure. So hi again, everybody. My name is Mia Cooley. I go by the Big Mama Mia. I am the founder of X-Hood. Um, as she explained, um, X-Hood is family planning and nurturing support for the black and queer community. Um, I am a mother of three. I have a four-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Um, and me and my current partner are actually trying to conceive now. So hi to all my trying to conceive families. Um, we're walking through that journey with you. Nice. Okay, Big Mama Mia. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast and wishing you luck on your journey into parenthood again. This was like four? Four. Yeah. Yes. I okay. only have one that, that lives um, in the house primarily, so it gets um, crazy when they're all here at the same time, but it's not always like that. <laughs> okay, you like, I still want another one and another one. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about your organization, Exit. We know that y'all recently held a Black Parent Sum Pride Summit um, last month in June in Atlanta, and I heard it was hella dope, and I saw pictures, and I was like, ooh, I want to go. Um, but it was described as an invigorating weekend of Black Queer Parent Empowerment. So tell us about that. What is Black Queer Parent Empowerment? What does it mean? What does it look like? Let us know. Sure. So, yes, the summit was crazy. It was our first one. Um, and so we really just wanted to connect all of our parents and soon-to-be parents and just curious about what parenting looks like as um, Black and queer families with um, the deep connections that they needed to feel like they could confidently make a decision in their next chapter. Um, and so for us, empowerment looks like um, queer parents and parents that are maybe not queer but are also in same-sex relationships that they can just show up fully and authentically and feel safe um, and feel um, confident that whether they are trying to conceive or they're blending of families or trying to adopt that um, successful parenting can and does look like us and look like them. Um, so putting them in touch with all of the resources that they need for whatever their next chapter looks like. So on site we had um, Loyal Fertility Care, which is a fertility specialist. Um, we had adop um, adoption or second parent adoption support and attorneys. Um, we had lots of um, just your favorite um, queer parent influencers um, that were just talking through there and sharing their journeys and experiences about how they keep their families safe, how they've continued to stay encouraged um, through their journeys. And it was an amazing time. We also got to have a little fun. Um, I'm from New Orleans, so I tell everybody I can't do an event without at least one party. Um, so we did get to have um, just a little bit of time to celebrate one another and love on each other. And I hope next year is twice as big. Yes, it will be. Let's manifest that now. And, you know, I love a good party. So, you know, every event to me, it, it, was it a, was it an event if there wasn't a celebration of black joy black freedom black liberation all of the goodness of black people we have to celebrate black joy is yep. a whole thing that we need to continue to lift up and engage in so so it sounds like a really impactful gathering for relationship building but also connecting to resources so that feels really important um so when we talk about black queer 
families. You know, that could be black, the parents identify as queer or maybe are in same-sex relationships, but that also could be raising black queer children and parents don't identify. So can you tell me what does it mean when you think about black parent empowerment um, within those two um, ways to identify as a black queer family? Absolutely. So being a, um, identifying as a queer parent, like you yourself are within community, our dynamics kind of to the outside, people often feel like they're inadequate, like we're kind of missing a piece mm. um, because maybe you're not, you know, the typical or two parent household or heteronormative American dream kind of household that um, that sort of dynamic de- demands. And so like a lot of being a lot, a big part of um, being a black queer parent is trying to unlearn that and rejecting that shame that people try to force on you so mm. that you truly do know that you're enough. Um, I used to get a lot of questions um, about uh, my son when he when he did identify as a black gay man. Like, okay, well, how are you two women going to raise a male child? Um, how th- how are you gonna you know be capable of that? Isn't he gonna need more role models? What, you know, what what about his father? And he did and he does have a father. Um, but we would get a lot of those questions, and I just try to um, encourage my families and let them know like you have people around you, and you do not necessarily need uh, someone that's acting as a father for your children to be fully provided for, for them to be whole and healthy and happy children. Um, so I just try to tell them like, you know, you're enough. If, if that looks like, you know, single parenthood or in a two parent household where you're in a same sex relationship, um, you are enough. You're not missing anything and your children aren't going to be missing anything. I love that. And I think that's so important because for so long, that's happened in the black community, period, right? Um, when I think about the Moynihan Report, talking about the impacts of black single motherhood as the what's the, um, you know, the detriment of the black family. And it's like, no, black black parents who are solo parenting, who are unpartnered, uncoupled, who are not who are in non-traditional family structures um, are enough. Right. It's not about their lack. It's about our society's lack of being able to be expansive and to consider other possibilities and to consider other configurations of family. Um, And I know a lot of folks like engage and build their own chosen family because of that, Mm -hmm. because there is um, there's this feeling as like you have to prove that you're enough. Right. And that comes from the outside. But I also feel like that comes from within our community as black folks. And so I'm curious, um, in that right in your experience of like that pushing back against that lack of enoughness or like you're missing something or for example I've heard even you know um like oh if there's not a man in the household how can you raise how can you you can't teach a boy how to be a man kind of thing I've heard that as well and it's very limiting as if boys aren't also expansive right like their identity is not just limited in a box around unhealthy or toxic masculinity like we want our boys to have a range of expression um, as much as we want our girls to have or all of our children to have. And we all should have a range of expression and have different mentors and influencers in our lives that are not just based on their uh, biology, right? Um, And I often push back because, you know, how many of us, I can speak for myself, were raised by grandparents and um, raised by, you know, a single mom or had just really active godparents. Um, So we, I always um, say that, you know, as black people and as queer people, we have this really strong history of chosen family. Like you said, like we are the blueprints for it, for using your extended family, for using, for having your friends that show up as aunts, that show up as cousins, and just really um, 
organizing your dynamic around what is what your family needs and what your kids need. Um, so the same the, the same goes for our queer households. You know, even you know in ballroom culture, we have a lot of um, families or or community members that are just estranged from their biological families because of choosing to walk in their authenticness and their identities, and they've been able to form the, form houses and families around um, their needs just for having cho- um, chosen family and build off of that. So we're no stranger to this. We are the blueprint to this. Don't let anybody tell you that, you know, you can't or don't do this because we already do it. Right. Okay. Quote that. <laughs> we are the blueprint. Say that because it's so true, right? I don't know how many cousins in them I got, aunties and uncles in them I got that aren't blood. I don't, they some God something, some play, I got some play cousins, some God They got all kind of people that, you know, are still in our life and will rock for us and show up for us in ways that people that we call that who are supposed to be family might not. And so I do, I agree 100% wholeheartedly. Black people have always, have always, um, practice expansive families right or chosen families Mm -hmm. or um or what you know the african proverb it takes a village to raise a child we really believe in like building our village and our village can be super expansive and wide-reaching um and it can be small and intimate as well but it, it is who we choose to bring into our lives and help us to to raise these kids i know i definitely parent my children um in a village because i can't do this alone and that doesn't mean that I'm less than or not enough because that whole two-parent model doesn't necessarily work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Let me just pause. Yep, and there, and, and, There's so much data right now about how that did not work during this pandemic. It's so much data to show. Like, it didn't work. Just having two people in a household with these kids and trying to work and survive a pandemic, it didn't work. Like, we needed our village, and that's what was missing when we had to be socially distant is that we lost think- our connection to our village. Yeah, I think that's honestly why I chose um, the theme for this year's summit was It Takes a Village, because after having to isolate and seeing the impact that it had on just my family, because we couldn't be as connected to our extended family and friends and the community that we built in Exit as much as we would have liked to been, like, I knew that this, this had to be it. This had to be our reconnection point. Um, and you asked about, like, how what does it mean, um, empowering me in, in terms of raising queer children and also I think I thought about it from the perspective of like um, having children that are either donor conceived or just growing up in um, in with parents that are queer or in same-sex relationships and I think it's important that we equip our children like with the language to answer the questions that they will get Um, so you know my my older kids are not any stranger to um, having friends and school classmates ask you know, why do you have two moms or who's your real mom sort of situation. So they now have, you know, built up their responses to like, you know, they're both my mom or, you know, they're both my real mom. And just being able to say that and they understand now like that anything beyond that, like about how they are were conceived or um, anything that like that is intrusive. So they don't really um, they've set up hard boundaries around having those conversations. Um, and I think it was also really important important for us and still important for us to continue surrounding them um, with community that that has families that look like ours and even in like our choice choices for books and tv shows and things like that for them we look for media that kind of i mean it's a little sparse but we do look for media that looks um that looks like us and looks like ours so that they are not um feeling like othered or outlying 
um, because kind of your traditional education is going to make them feel like that anyways. Um, so we try to do our best to surround them with um, a bunch of families that are like ours, which is where Exit was birthed from. Mm, that's so important. I really appreciate you naming that part as well, um, because I think, you know, we talked about this earlier about the need to normalize queer black families like in like how you said you go to the bookstore you're looking at tv the commercials the ads everything is targeted to a particular demographic and it oftentimes doesn't look like uh, a black queer family and I think it's important to normalize because you talked about how your 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 kids will be asked questions right and so I'm also thinking about how it's important for it to be normalized not just for the kids who are who, who live within a black queer family but also for families who do not live within a black queer family dynamic because they ask these questions and sometimes the questions can be invasive um, and sometimes I could imagine that the questions could be harmful or hurtful. So I wanted to post to you, like, why is it important for us to normalize black queer families, not just for black queer families so that they can see themselves, but also for how the community at large, our black um, family, our black communities can engage and support and acknowledge and recognize that black queer families have always been here. Um, but they might not have experiences with them. So what can we do? What, how can we support? Um, so for us, it's a matter of safety, um, just being intentional about like, you know, not just kind of comfortably, you know, not saying homophobic things, but actively teaching your children about um, and your families about the different dynamics so that they, when they are confronted with it, you're creating a safe space for the families that are around you, um, especially during a time where people are kind of like actively campaigning against families that look like mine. Um, it be can become a really dangerous situation for us. And if we don't bring up um, and inform our next generation that, you know, we exist, we're going to continue to exist. And, you know, one of your friends, one of your, you know, play cousins may come up, come from a dynamic that doesn't represent yours um, and to just express truly like them learning love ab above tolerance. Mm -hmm. I think it just it creates a safer environment for myself, um, especially for our transgender families, for our non-binary and non-conforming families, um, and just and um, be, like anything that's beyond the binary specifically. Yes, um, I think that's so right because it's it's and I and I do want to say it's not just for like the next generation, right? Um, right. Like yes, we can talk to our. We hope that the kids will be able to be more accept, not even accepting and not even tolerant, right? Um, I don't even know what the right word is because it just feels like just love people um, as they mm -hmm. are, as they show up, right? Um, and, and what you said about it not just being the next generation that like <laughs> resonates for me. Yes, because, like, I've had to do a lot of teaching up. Like, even to, like, my own parents, especially with my mom, my, my dad, he's a pretty quiet person, so he doesn't really, he doesn't really engage much. He's like, whatever you're on, I'm on, that's fine. Um, but my mom <laughs> does try to actively, like, understand more, so I do a lot of teaching up with her. For instance, when our 16-year-old um, came out as non-binary, it was like, okay, you know, I know that he typically goes by PJ. But now, you know, they would like to be used they them pronouns and they would like to go by the name Avery um, and just going walking through those tra that transition with her um, has been just a learning experience for all of us. So she was never like outwardly rejecting, um, but it, I could tell that like, you know, it was learning experience for all of us. Um, so we're all like, you know, it's OK to make mistakes. It's OK. Like even earlier, you know, earlier on in, in this recording, I referred, referred to them as he. And it's because I'm still walking through that. And so 
sorry, baby. I didn't mean to do that. Mommy loves you, Avery. Um, I'm not at all trying to be disrespectful, and I'll correct myself going forward. And that's something that I've been teaching my parents as well. I just want to pause and appreciate <laughs> you modeling for us real time that we gonna mess. We might mess up. We might not get it right. And how do we be accountable? Um, and show up and make a commitment to not keep messing up because there's a way that people be like, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up, but then they're not really trying to fix. They're not really trying to correct. They're oh, really trying to. No, black people, they'll be like, oh, well, your mama named you this. And I'm like, well, even their mom is calling them a new name. So if I can do it, then everybody else right. um, can do it as well. So, yeah, people do try to stay committed to it. And I think it's part of, like, um, we all kind of struggle with change a little bit. Um and like in, getting kind of married to any ideas and dreams and things that we had that were kind of associated with whatever um, sex or gender that that child was assigned at birth. So we kind of all had to do a, a practice mm. of like intentionally releasing those ideals and not getting tied to dreams for our kids that are associated with their gender, but associated with what they want their lives to look like, because at the end of the day, it's their own. Oh, I like that, too. That's another quote moment. <laughs> to, to to not get tied to the dreams. And I think ugh, that is so true. We People have these dreams that when they have their child, especially folks who are doing the gender reveals, for example, like, like they're very attached to, oh, I'm having a boy, oh, I'm having a girl, right? And then having all these ideas about what that girl will do and, you know, what she's going to grow up to be. And, oh, my gosh, I'm going to dress her in these clothes and I can't wait till we go do these things together as mommy and daughter or as father and son. There's all these dreams that parents um create about the child that they have and and sometimes a lot of it's rooted in their gender um i can't wait to toss the ball back and forth like all those things and then you know and then their children might have different interests and might identify differently and i think that's right there is that is that can be hard um and it's like how do we let go of some of those those expectations that we created and, and allow the child who is in front of us to, to blossom and grow into who they want to be and how do we continue to water and nurture them um, and not try to like, you know, bury their identities because we had a different vision. Mm-hmm. So. I, I can, I can um, speak from my experience. Like even with my four-year-old, I, you know, it was a little bit opposite for me, like, because I'm a queer parent and I'm like, okay, when we have this, when we have this baby, like I'm going to dress her androgynously and, you know, we're going to go with this fluid thing until, she, you know, she tells us like who she is and what she wants to be. And let me tell you, our four-year-old is a princess. She does not walk out of this house without a dress, a skirt, a tutu. And that was nothing that I tried. I was trying to go for like real, like straight down the yeah, middle like of the road. Neutral, gender neutral, yeah. non-binary. I'm like, we gonna wear pants sometime. We gonna do, and she is her grandmother's child, honey. Like she wants to put on a dress and she wants to wear earrings. And I'm and not she even- putting on like, her, putting her feet in people's heels. I am not that. <laughs> so I kind of had to let it go emotionally too. Like, okay, now when she tell me she don't want to wear tank tops or she don't want to wear pants or wear, why isn't her uniform dress clean? Like I have to just, you know, recognize, you know, do my own like releasing of that dream that I had that, you know, we were going to live this fluid life and like just things that I had instilled. And I think that, you know, when we do that, it's part of it is about safety for our kids. We know that like if your kid grows up within the binary or, you know, identifying with the gender that they were assigned at birth, that they will have an easy,
easier time in life since um, a child that is non-binary or transgender or non-conforming um, in the way that they express or dress or, you know, clothe themselves. Um, I think so. I think that's part of it. And I can understand that, you know, it, it, it is dangerous out here for trans adults tra- or for trans kids and for trans kids looking to become trans adults. Um, I can understand that. But also, I think what we need to focus on is our children's happiness um, and their level of comfort because of how many um, trans and queer youth that are subject to suicide or more opt to um, commit suicide because they don't feel like this world is accepting of them and built for them. Um, So just prioritizing and having those conversations about like, you know, when, when my child came out as non-binary, he, he originally identified as a gay male. And so like some of our family would say things like, well, why couldn't he just stick to that? That was good enough. And I'm like, no, because that was safe for you, but that's not what, you know, was their truth. And that's not where they felt like they truly aligned. And so we're not going to get, you know, stuck on, you know, they were gay and now they're this and, you know, kids don't know what they're talking about because um, they keep changing their mind. No, we're all learning who we are. I have lived, I don't know how many lives I've lived at this point (laughs) and I'll probably live a few more. So I'm not going to get, you know, stuck to their journey because of how they are choosing to, um, what their sexual and romantic preferences are or how they, choose to express their gender or not gender in this case um so i think just having those conversations and being open um to that you know we're all learning and that we're all um trying to find kind of where we where we fit and what feels good for us and especially in the time during like young young children they're trying to like push boundaries with bad behavior and with expression and with you know what can they say but teenagers are doing that as well so we don't have to wait for them to become a teenager to do that, but have those conversations early. Yes. You dropped so much knowledge and wisdom in that last answer. Um, a couple, <laughs> I'm like, there's a couple of things. You talked about the impact of the, yeah, you talked about so many things, but I did, you know, one thing that you brought up made me think about when you're talking about your daughter, like you wanted to raise her in this like uh, gender fluid way um, and let her, and wait for her to, you know, um, identify share her gender like how she wanted to express herself and her clothing and things of that nature and she's princess all princess um and you had to let that go you know same so you know it's interesting because i think you're sharing a lot of information and i feel like i want to pause and like invite us to kind of do a quick one-on-one 101 about some of these things like the difference between gender identity or orientation sex or orientation or sex um just because for example like um i have a little nibbling one of my um one of my come on nibbling come on nibbling (laughs) shout out adrian marie brown um one of my little nibblings uh which is like my siblings child it's like a word for nieces slash nephews but it's nibbling Mm -hmm. um i'm just sharing that with the audience because they're like what um and so one of my little nibblings um identifies as a boy but loves everything princess loves has long like has long hair like really young too so has long like has long hair hasn't had a haircut so like really likes his hair long likes dolls likes pretty things likes princess things and so you know if he's with me and we go and you know he wants something you know he wants a gift for his birthday he he tells him what he wants i'm gonna get it so he wanted a doll i got him a doll that's what he wanted and i'm like it's fine 
he likes dolls. It's okay. Like he likes to comb their hair. He because likes to get them dressed. I'm like he's gonna caregivers too. I'm like he's gonna be a stylist and chefs and all those. That's things. exactly what I said. It was like that whole <laughs> drama about the little boy who wanted to play in the kitchen. The kitchen the Fisher Price kitchen set. There was a whole drama about that. I'm like, it's okay for boys to be nurturing. It's okay for boys to be caregivers. It's okay. And it's okay for boys to be feminine. To be feminine. <laughs> it's okay. And, 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 and that does not equate because what I get, what I my the pushback I get is like, oh, you're trying to make him gay. And I'm like, huh? Because I gave him a doll? I'm like, what? I'm like, how does him wanting to be nurturing and a caregiver and a, you know, a person who loves other people and loves little people, like, how does that equate to gay? And I feel like we equate, like, someone's, like, how they style, how they dress, their fashion. We equate that to their sexual orientation. And so I just wanted to, like, pause and see if you could do, because, you know, you've talked about lots of, you know, you talked about non-binary, you talked about, you know, we talked about gender spectrum, we talked about sexual orientation, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if our community even understands how to break all of those things apart, and I know I've been saying black queer families, because I know that that's a blanketed term that includes anyone that's outside of the, like, cis het normative um, identity, and also cis, you know, het heteronormative relationships as well and so I just wanted to pause and see if you wanted to help us give some clarity to some of these words for our folks who are like what are y'all talking about absolutely so LGBT um, lesbian gay bisexual transgender community so those first three letters the L the G the B all refer to kind of your sexual orientation Um, and that T and then there's a plus and a bunch of other letters that I honor it in our community, and I'm sorry, but for the 101, we're going to keep it short, just for the L, <laughs> the, B, the G, and the T. Um, the T refers to issues of um, or uh, gender identity. So gender identity is kind of your own internal, personal keyword sense of being a man or a woman or someone that does not identify within that binary. So um, your non-binary, your non-conforming community members would fall under that umbrella. So again, it's a personal choice, how you feel with your sense, not a choice, but your sense of whether you are a a man or a woman or someone that doesn't kind of fit um, inside of that. And it's truly um, uh, like uh, when people say, you know, gender is a social construct, it is. It's what we have built up being a man or a woman to look like. And if we decide um, internally that this is where, you know, we align. Your sexual orientation kind of describes um, your physical or your romantic or emotional attraction to other people. So that's where your um, heterosexual, which is straight, um, your gay, lesbian, bisexual, um, pansexual fall into. Um, and so that truly means, like like I said, physical, ro- romantic, emotional attraction. Do I want to be in a relation, a romantic relationship with this person? Do I want to have sex with this person? Is this somebody that I'm physically attracted to and I want to act on that? So that is all under that sexual orientation umbrella. Um, oh, something I missed. Back to, oh, not something I missed, but something I'll build on. So transgender people. So if you are um, uh, assigned male at birth and you transition um, to being, or you identify or as a person with trans experience and you are identified as a woman and you would like to romantically date or your sexual orientation is dating someone um, that is a male, you would identify um, as a straight woman because you are a woman who has a romantic attraction to the opposite sex. 
So I get that that can get a little confusing for people, but when we nail it down to gender is, again, your own personal identity within the gender binary or not, Um, and then sexual orientation being who you are romantically, physically, sexually um, interested in. And then the last piece that I didn't touch on will be um, expression. So you talked about your nibbling who identifies as a boy but likes to dress in ways that we associate with women or females dressing. Um, so that is part of gender expression. So you can be um, a straight woman who is masculine presenting as people or masculine of center as people say. So that means you are romantically um, and physically attracted to men, but your expression is more aligned with how we perceive men to dress um, in our society and vice versa. You can be um, a straight, straight boy or man and be romantically interested in women, but have an outward expression or choose an outward expression that is more feminine or aligned with how we perceive women to dress in our society. I hope that made sense. <laughs> it makes it makes a lot of sense to me, but I know it's a little complex. And so if folks aren't are familiar with this um Maybe we can add some resources to the the podcast post in case folks are like, wait, huh? Break that down again. Um, Absolutely. But I really just I really appreciate the way you're like it's it it they don't have to we don't need to conflate them and they don't have to be parallel or something if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like a person doesn't have to be because I identify um, as a particular thing that I automatically am gay or I'm attracted to the opposite thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that. Or it could mean yep. that. So I think that feels really important. And um, and in the case of children, like you were saying, like, you know, people who get mad at you for buying the dolls. Oh, you're trying to make him make him gay. Well, one, you know that you're not. And, you know, even if that was the I can't gay make agenda, nobody I gay. Make gay <laughs> yes. One, we do not have that power over someone's <laughs> expression or preference. Um, but two... If you were, let's just say that you were trying to make him gay, what is the issue? It was what I push people with. What is the issue with that? If they do, you know, because if because I bought them a doll, they are gay. Then what is the problem with that? Why does it become an issue that they are, they are gay? So that's what I try to ask people to ask themselves. Like, and you know, it's not if that conversation is not um, exclusive to like our hetero um, community, we have that conversation a lot within um, even our exit, our private community, because um, we have like within the LGBTQ community growing up in a heteronormative society, we have a lot of like unlearning and healing from self-loathing that we kind of have to do. Mm. So I see even within our community where people are like, Oh, don't, don't give my, don't give my son the pink bottle because he's not, going to be gay because maybe you know their history is their family gave them such a hard time about coming out as gay and it didn't feel safe and it was really rough and then they don't want that for their for their um children as well and they don't realize that you know you're inflicting the same kind of harm that was inflicted on you if you're not allowing your child to walk in their truth whatever that may be yeah no i definitely know i have i definitely know folks who you know engage in same-sex relationships and are totally opposed to their children ever considering that and i'm just Mm -hmm. like how is that possible (laughs) how is that possible they have you know we have gay men and women that are that will be like you know i'm not um why does it why does that person over there have to be so flamboyant so outward with their things and i'm like hey 
like, you know, I think there's a tone of jealousy to it. Like, there's some, like, you know, I wasn't allowed to do that. I wasn't allowed to, you know, be raised like that. I had to make it. I had to make a decision once I got out of my parents' house, so they're going to have to do the same thing. No, like, we're going to do it early here. We're not going to, like, make our children hate themselves early. The world as black children is going to be hard enough for them. So this is what, you know, people try to say, you know, I'm just preparing them for the outside world. And I, yes, as a parent, that's your job, but I feel like we should be preparing our children in love so i'm okay with my house being the love bubble and not mirroring this tough outside world like you don't need tough love in and out the house like that's not what's going to benefit you in the long run absolutely that reminds me of one of the episodes i did with um ambria Hey, Ambria Meadows. Um, And we talked about tough love and how she made a commitment in her parenting to not, like, make the world hard on inside our house because the world outside Mm -hmm. is hard as well. So how does our home, how does our love for them be a safe space? How does it be, you know, a a nice, warm, soft, gentle place where they can land when the world is hard? Um, And, you know, children end up in so many dangerous, and young people end up in so many dangerous situations because they are looking for a safe space. So if you make your ha- your home this tough love situation, this tough space trying to get your child prepared for the outside world, they are not going to know where to turn when they need safety. They're going to be really confused. And I can tell you that I want my children when they feel like, you know, their security is compromised or they feel like they're in a dangerous situation that they call in me. Like, right. call me, show up at my house. You can come back. I don't care if you're 45. Come on back to the house we going to be here because this is your safe space. You can always return here and ask me questions and, and walk it through with me versus walking it through with someone that can be predatory for them or put them in dangerous situations. And now you on your way to the human trafficking because I wanted to practice tough love. Right. Or because I, <laughs> because I was still so bought into this societal construct of gender. Because mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's all a societal contract. I was like, at some point, I, I used to read, at some point, pink was the male color. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, it's some other country back in the day. So I'm like, all of this, like, who who said pink was female? And who said blue was male? Like, who made that up? And I'm like, you don't realize that it was all made up. And so those are some of the conversations that I have. You know, it's they're always so interesting. Um, and getting people to push beyond, like, it's similar to, I feel like it's similar to the, the thread of conversation that we have at Parent and for Liberation around, like, we have to, you know, we have to keep our kids in track. We have to make sure they work twice as hard. We have to be tough on them so that they can survive the real hard world. Um, and it's like, no, we don't. And who told us that this was the way that our kids were going to be safe? Like, someone told us that, and that wasn't the truth. Um, and so it is, it's a similar thing around folks you know, parenting from fear and how do we shift to parenting for liberation? And that also is in our child's, you know, gender identity and their sexual orientation that we should be, want them to be free, right? At, at the core of it, we want our kids to be free, to feel loved, to thrive, to be happy um, and healthy and to feel like we are a safe place. So regardless of how they show up, regardless of who they love, regardless of how they identify and if it's different than what we expected of them, regardless of all of that, like at the root of it, we should love our kids so much that we want them to thrive and want them to be healthy and happy. Regardless. Yep, that's, I don't want them to have to leave my household and then have to recover from everything, you know, that I inflicted upon them in this house on top of all the things that they'll have to learn outside of here. Yeah. So what do you say or how can we, um, I was going to say, how can we help? Like, what do you say to parents who may 
you know, they may be struggling with with understanding this, but they want they don't want to be um, homophobic. They don't want to be transphobic. They don't want to say the wrong thing, but they don't have the tools or the resources. Because I often say, like, your kids might not tell you, um, but, you know, like, your kid's friends, for example, I, I know the situation, like, a kid's friend might be, whether it be flamboyant, or a kid's friend might be, um, you know, outwardly queer, and the parent might say comments about the friend that are mm-hmm. not positive. So it's like you're in, you're telling your child what you really think. Like your child mm-hmm. is hearing you. So even if your child does identify or does feel, or, you know, does want to talk to you about it, they don't feel safe because you've already said mm-hmm. negative stuff, right? Or not even about their friend. It could be like you saw something on the TV and you like, oh, that's some gay shit. And, right. and it's like, so now I'm like, oh, my mama don't like gay shit or my daddy don't like gay shit. Okay, I can't do gay shit. Like, or whatever that means, right? Um, and we hear it all the time. It's just thrown around. At least I hear it. And I'm just like, you can't say that because you just never know. And even if no uh-huh. one in our community it does identify as, it's still problematic because you're creating uh-huh. more harm. So what can we talk to heteronormative black people and black families um, to support our queer black families in our community? Yeah, so I think like what you said, starting with the language, I mean, that was our experience with our 16-year-old. Their dad used to say stuff like that when they were like out all the time. And this is before they came out as gay and before they came out as non-binary, they would go to like the mall and things like that. And he would say stuff like that all the time. And so it took for um, our child to come home and be like in tears over what they heard. They're like, because, you know, this is how I identify, I identify, but he doesn't know that yet. And I'm like, and it's going to take you some time to now come out to him because you don't feel like it's a safe space. So just definitely watch your language. Um, and also just pause. Like if your kid um, does feel safe enough to come out to you, to bring, to bring a friend over that may be um, um, identified within the LGBT community just ask them how you how they need you to show up in their lives um when my son or when my child came out as non-binary same as when they came out as as gay it was okay so what do you need from me um and so that i understand under could understand how they needed me to show up and for them it was okay i want you to be there when we talk to these specific family members or when you know when it's time to go back to school i would like to you know come out to my friends and I would like to adjust things and what can you do, you know, as my mom um, to make sure that the school understands how I identify. So just ask them how you need to show up because sometimes they come out and they're like, okay, but this, that information lives within this house. And so protecting them from that, don't go blabbering out of your child to the whole world when they're not ready um, mm. for you to take, take that step for them. So just truly ask and then, I mean, and then listen to what they're saying that they need um, from you and then equip yourself there are, there are a lot of communities um, out there like I can think of one there's called um, mama dragons um, that is for parents of queer children so that you can actively learn um, about how to support your queer child exhood um, our private community used to be open to parents of queer children we actually don't support um, we do support but we don't allow um, parents of queer children in our private community anymore um, because it was triggering um, for a lot of our members 
um, when parents were kind of struggling in their journeys to accept and learn their child. Um, and so we chose to prioritize our parents that are within the community, within the LGBTQ community themselves. But if you do ever need to get in touch with resources about how to support your queer child, I am here. You can find me at the Big Mama Mia. And again, um, if you are on Facebook um, or just have access to the internet, um, look up Mama Dragons. They're an amazing support group for parents of queer children. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for resources. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to share on this call? Because I feel like you gave us so much, so much to to learn, so much to practice. And as you modeled so beautifully, like we're not always going to get it right. You know, we might say the wrong thing. We might misgender, you know, we might, and we're not going to be perfect. And so instead of being so afraid to get it wrong to not do it at all like I encourage folks to at least try to be more open and be um more curious I would say you know to understand to learn go to those resources that we're going to put on the website um to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to support black queer families because they exist uh I saw a report from UCLA that said that there's 1.6 million black queer family, uh, black queer people, and over 40% of them uh, are nearly 40% of them are raising children. So mm -hmm. there are black queer families out here in these streets. And so, um, th as they always have been, I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's a new thing, people. Like, everybody got an auntie, uncle, cousin, somebody in our family. Um, and so, how do we just create more space for those folks to thrive and to have the resources that they deserve um, and the support? from our community absolutely so what i will i will speak first to directly to um our black and queer parents you know stay the course um be encouraged and hold firm to your boundaries it is okay if you do not feel like you know the family that you are birthed into is not safe um, for you to raise children around because of your family dynamic or how you identify or who you would choose to love and parent with um, but there are um, communities like Parenting for Liberation, like Exit, that want you to um, want to see you succeed and want you to be, feel successful and loved on and confident. Um, so surround yourselves with that people, with those people. It's okay um, to not have your chosen family to lean into. We've, I mean, to not have your biological family to lean in, into. Lean into your chosen family. Like I said earlier on in the conversation, we've been doing that all along anyway. So we are here. Um, you can find us on most platforms at Parent X Hood if you're looking for that. To our to our families that um, do not identify as queer. Um, you may be raising a queer child or maybe you're not. Maybe you just want to um, create a more loving and tolerant world around you. So definitely speak up when you are at tables that and in conversations that we are not present at. Um, look for our perspective. Look for us to be added to that conversation. Make the spaces that you frequent safe for us. Um, you know, I see a lot of like videos and things of people going around and they're not standing up for women. They're not standing up for transgender people. They're not standing up for, you know, the other black person in the room. Like we are our own village. And so we have to continue to show up in that way. And so I hope that it goes beyond thoughts and that is true action. Yes, <laughs> we got us. We got us. But we need to. We need to show up. I really appreciate you. And um Big up to Big Mama Mia. <laughs> Thank you so much again for having me. Thank you. And we will um, share links to all of the, the incredible work you're doing. And hopefully, you know, you know, 
figure out how to expand that uh that Atlanta based Atlanta based uh, summit to you know have one in LA for our LA people maybe. We'll you know, our LA people are asking. The summit will travel. We're going to go from city to city. I haven't announced the next city yet, but I've, I have seen a lot of votes for LA. So we'll Ooh, see. Maybe I'll meet <laughs> you. That'll be exciting. Um, um, all right. Thank you so much. And I wish you a beautiful weekend. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.